Hiya, it's time for another episode of For Your Reconsideration, where we rewatch a film everyone said was poo to determine if that mighty fecal accolade still stands. I'm Rob, and here's Simon and James. How are you doing, boys? <laughs> poo, so babyish. You can tell you've got three small children. <laughs> I realise we've been getting a bit longer every week, so I tried to tone it back. Go for brevity this week, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) James, how are you? You well? I'm very well, thank you. How about you, Rob? How are you? We never ask you how you are. No, we never ask. I am uh, like a miraculous northern wind. (laughs) Constant and easy. A fine would have done. And that's why we don't ask him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, sorry, I was, I was totally taken aback by that. Um, yeah, I'm great. Yeah, wicked. Good, good. Um, what have you boys been digging into this week? Okay, so uh, we're recording this on the week that uh, Game of Thrones has just finished its triumphant run. So I'm on the lookout for a new TV show to get obsessed with. So I've come across the Americans on Amazon Prime Video. Have you guys are you familiar with this show? No, no. I have not seen it. I had a chap I used to work with constantly told me to watch it. He was like, "You have to watch it. It's amazing." I never actually um, got round to it in the end, but he was convinced it was one of the best things he'd seen. In the words of Greece, "Tell me more. Tell me more." <laughs> No answer! <laughs> right, so uh, Rob's in one of those moods tonight. <laughs> I, it's because the movie, I'm so excited about this movie, I can't get over it. Right, and, uh, okay. Uh, so just a quick setup. It's set during the height of Cold War uh, in the Reagan era, America, and tells the story of two Russian sleeper agents posing as everyday Americans, replete with children. Uh, they go out on covert missions while apparently leading a regular American life. Me and my wife started this at the start of this week, and we've almost finished the first season. It's really, really good. I would highly recommend. And all six seasons oh, nice. are streaming on Amazon Video. Cool. Oh, nice. Because um, when I went to watch it, it wasn't on anything. But um, I've heard that Chernobyl's pretty good as well, so I want to check that out as well. Yeah, loads of good reviews for that. Yeah. Um. I've seen a few things this week trying to make up for last week where I watched absolutely nothing. But the the sort of one I want to talk about is a film called American Animals. It's about a true story of a group of college students in Kentucky who plotted to steal a collection of rare books from the school's library because they were worth like $12 million or something. It's like really similar to um, I, Tonya, which came out the previous year. And it's sort of making the most of that current obsession with true crime stories because they're bloody everywhere at the minute. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's presented in a way that's like equal parts movie and documentary. So it's like really high-end reconstruction of what happened uh, intertwined with accounts from the actual people involved. But it's so well made. It's really clever. It's absolutely amazing. Definitely recommend that. Oh, wicked, wicked, wicked. I think the director almost got the Bond job on the back of that. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. It's, oh, it's, did it? Yeah, almost, wow, yeah. Wow. It's amazing. It's like... Because you've got like conflicted accounts from the actual people, and then it's like meshed together with the movie elements, so you'll get them simultaneously telling a story what's slightly different, and it plays out in both ways at the same time. It's just really well done, and you've got like two top draw performances from, um, well, from everyone really, but it's that uh, Barry Keown and Evan Peters. Oh yeah, Ace, both incredible. Mm. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Definitely, definitely recommend it. Cool, cool. I'm looking forward to watching it again. It's really, really good. I think that's also on uh, Amazon it uh, is. video that's, as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I spied it on there. That's oh, nice, I nice. It. What about you, Rob? What have you been watching? 
Um, well, actually, to show that these recommendations do hit home, um, I think it was James, your recommendation last week was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, <laughs> yes. which I, I promptly cashed in on with a birthday voucher. And, oh, my God, is that movie good? It's oh, it's so good, it isn't is it? It's so, oh. so good, yeah. And the soundtrack, hee-hee, wow. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm loving it. Um, yeah, so good. And the kids love it. And, you know, like you said that the kids would like it. Like, I mean, I love it. The kids like it. A few weeks ago, you said this with uh, Sing, Sai, when you said that if it hits the sweet spot when kids and adults enjoy it as yeah. well, we're right in that zone with this one. Yeah. And um, I can't get over how good that animation is. Oh, it's I just unbelievable, can't. isn't um, it? And it's then so sling good. Nicolas Cage in there as well. Yes. And I'm one very, very happy oh, man. Yeah. Big box tick for you. <laughs> yeah, massive box tick. <laughs> we need to get some Cage on the pod at some point, don't, oh, don't, really. don't you worry. There's so much to choose from. I, I have a smorgasbord of cage ready to go. <laughs> I can't believe we've got this far. I know, with no cage. I know, I know. Don't, there's still time. Don't you worry. Don't you worry Fortunately, about there's an infinite amount of cage movies to yes, go yes, he keeps, Well, he does he about keeps, 70 years. Yeah, yeah. Every single one of which could be fodder from this, for this podcast. You know. Well, Spider-Verse isn't. That's one of the good ones. <laughs> you know, sadly, in latter years of cage, the, one of the ones that books the trend, you know. It uh, yeah, went down really well, that film. Everyone oh, loved it, oh, didn't they? Really, really good. Really good. Um, lots of heart, too. Yeah, you know, I love all that stuff. Oh, it's great. oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's something different really as well because they've seen. I mean, I love Spider Man, but we've seen Peter Parker eighteen million times. We've seen so that origin story have... so many times. But like, even my eight, eight year old girl who does not like like anything that I like or anything like that, or that's like for boys or anything like that, or, or supposedly for boys, you know, like a comic book property. I'm afraid she still has that yeah, idea that yeah. it's probably still for boys, which through no, you know, I just say she can be whatever she wants, obviously. But she's like, um, no, she said, this is amazing. And she wants the costume and everything, you know, of Spider-Gwen, not of Miles Morales, of course. Well, yeah, well, that, yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah. her inclusion was, was ace for that reason alone, wasn't it? It really was, wasn't it, actually? And Miles Morales as well, like having a ethnic minority yeah. uh, character as a superhero is is amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good, yeah. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Miles Morales at all, yeah. so like, that was a really interesting yeah, origin story actually, as well for me. Yeah, like, for, the ca- for a more um, broader casual viewer, I imagine that whole take on it was actually really, really um, fresh. Plus you get two different Peter Parkers as well, so yeah, yeah. Like, you get, it covers all the bases. Really, <laughs> Absolutely. Chris Pine. No. Was Chris Pine in that movie? Yeah, Chris Pine was the um, the like good uh, Peter Parker. No, like the top end Peter Parker. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's a great film. It, sadly, we'll never talk about it again because it's actually good. So you know, we'll not feature on this <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> I know, can we just talk about that? I know, uh, well, <laughs> speaking of, speaking of movies that might not be good or great, it's uh, it was my pick this week, boys. So Jesus I am going Christ. to dive straight in with <laughs> Wild Card. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, went ahead and picked the 1993 sci-fi movie Fire in the Sky, using a term that's serendipitously appropriate when considering if a film is poo or not. Here is its logline. An Arizona logger, don't laugh, mysteriously disappears for five days in an alleged encounter with a flying saucer in 1975. Based on the supposed true story of Travis Walton, the film is loosely based on the 1978 book The Walton Experience, penned by Walton himself, and also features the single most horrific usage of Branston Pickle in cinema history to date. (laughs) (laughs) Slash American equivalent of Branston Pickle. How does it think? What makes it move? 
wide does it breathe? Questions anyone would ask about a man if they'd never seen one before. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. Does anyone want to want to ask me why I picked this? I do. I fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fuming. <laughs> okay. Story time. A long time ago, there was a little boy called Robert. He was three years old. His dad told him all about this film called E.T., which was about a boy and his new best friend that happened to be a creature of some kind. <laughs> Young Robert's head concocted an image of a boy barreling across a desert plain on the back of a drop-top jeep, holding his hand out to a gurning gorilla, gleefully giving amiable pursuit. Robert settled in to watch this. E.T. and his assumptions were soon revealed to be unfounded and that little ball of poo with legs screaming in a cornfield with torchlight glinting in his Einstein modelled eyes kicked off a proper honest to God phobia of aliens that lasted until Rob was 15. Now phobia might seem a strong word but if I ever saw anything, sorry, if, if this fictional boy Robert ever saw anything remotely out of spacey during that time, his guts would drop. I mean seriously, a twist deep in the stomach, cold sweats, rising panic. I, uh, Robert, the boy, I was so freaked out that I couldn't look at magazine racks in shops in case there was a picture on there that would knock me sideways. Uh, I didn't sleep through the night until I was 16, convinced that they were coming. <laughs> but in my teens, the phobia began to take on the pallor of a sort of obsessive self-punishment. So I began to love these stories, even when they terrified me and read everything I could on the subject. And I watched everything I could get my hands on. And it was at this stage I saw this film, Fire in the Sky, which caught me for one of two reasons. One was it was right at the start of the X-Files craze. X-Files debuted in 1993, as did this film. And two, it featured one of the most disturbing abduction scenes ever committed to film. Yeah, it did. Debate on that later, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> as time progressed, I also came to remember it for being actually really competently made uh, with an interesting structure in a narrative sense. And it boasted what I uh, remembered as some great performances. So I, that's why I wanted to see if it held up. And I, that's why I bought it, to the for, to, bought it forward to the pod. And that, gentlemen, is where we are. Nice. That was a great story. Jack and Ori. <laughs> <laughs> when did you last watch it? Uh, when did I last watch it? I last watched it about five years ago. Right, so not that long ago. I was, I was, I was like, I didn't I hadn't watched it until I was, since I was twelve. <laughs> well, I mean, did you? Uh, had you guys seen it before, James? You hadn't seen it before. I'd never you? even heard of it. <laughs> never, heard of it. never even heard of it. <laughs> I actually thought it was like more of a modern film. Like a, a sort of like straight to VOD type movie. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was convinced I hadn't seen it. Like I had no idea what it was. But then as soon as I played it, well, as soon as I clocked it was from 93, I was like, oh, hang on, you know, maybe I have seen this. Yeah. 
But then as soon as the opening credit sequence where it's just a one shot of the woods and the lights coming through the trees uh, yeah. and the really terrifying music going on, I was like, yes, yes. Well, everything came flooding back and I Did it? Oh, remember. Yeah. yeah. I think during that opening bit with the music, I had to check the door was locked about five times because I was on my own when I watched it. Oh, God, it was really scary, that music. (laughs) I mean, you you shouldn't be worried, though, Sai, because you'd only get abducted if you're out in the woods with no witnesses anyway. (laughs) There were six of them, James. What, James? (laughs) Not when he got abducted, there (laughs) weren't. I think, again, you know, it's that question. Films have got to be able to stand by themselves. This This film actually should stand by itself, but it can never step out of the shadow of that caveat based on a true story. Yeah. That's, I think, what what hangs over this. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Um, can I have some critical reception for this, please? Because I, I have no idea how this Right, did. I'm going to say I'm very surprised by the critical reception. Make of that what you will when I give the scores. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 39%. So higher than, uh, what was it? We had the lowest one we had, was that The Punisher? It was like 20% or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so 39% critical, 57 audience, so kind of double that. Um, it's not actually on Metacritic. They couldn't even be bothered to add it to the database. <laughs> it's only got four top critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. You know, you can filter it down into top critics. Oh, this is so good. Bothered to review it. Uh, yeah, Letterboxd has it as a 3.1. Generous. Uh, yeah, the reviews are just like totally as you'd expect. Um, yes. We'll just have one before we like get into the chat. This is from Christopher Null from filmcritic.com. Ooh. The X-Files could have done this story in 42 minutes flat, though in reality, it probably would have deemed it too boring to bother with it at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Christopher gave it 2.5 out of 5. I'll take that. I mean, cheers, Christopher. I, I agree with you, you know. To a, to a huge extent. <laughs> going going down the, the aggregate websites, halfway seems to be quite accurate. Yeah. In a generous way, <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, what about um, budget and box office, James? Have you got any uh, hot facts? Well, amazingly, this did get a theatrical release and wasn't just shown on the Hallmark channel. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favourite films <laughs> yeah so uh, what would you say the budget of this film was Oof. Uh, 6 million no, but we're talking um, 93 like, though isn't it 93 yeah yeah it's got to be somewhere million, near the budget of Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> not more 12 million 12 yeah, million. Yeah, so Sai's going for six. Rob's got... Was that 12, Rob, did you say? 12, yeah, yeah. We'll do We'll do an even double on Simon's. Yeah, so uh, 15 million budget. Oof. Made just under 20 million in the States. There's no worldwide box office figures available. I'd be surprised if this had much of a theatrical I, run outside of the US. I can't <laughs> see this going outside of the US. Because it's so specific to the culture of America. and It is, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, early 90s, obsessed with American, uh, sorry, alien things. But yeah, there's no way this got a, this got a release outside I, of America. I, I was going to talk about this at the end, but I think I'd like to bring it forward if that's all right. I want to look at the idea of a, a film standing by itself, because I think that this film is 
properly, properly hamstrung in terms of its critical reception, etc., by that infernal notion that it's based on a true story. You know, like as soon as you say that a film like this is based on a true story, you're open to a laughter and, and you know, a debate of a not kind kind of way. You know what I mean? And then you look into the people behind it, you know, Travis Walton himself. I mean, Travis Walton was... I've got this, there's loads of stuff written about Walton, how he was influenced by a TV movie called The UFO Incident, mm. which was screened just two weeks before he announced his own abduction uh, in 1975. And he travels the country selling this story at talks and events and charges an absolute bomb to do so. He he did indeed pass his original lie detector test in, in um, 1975, but he failed one uh, in the mid-2000s on a reality TV show. So if I what I like to do is I like to take all of that out of it, take all the back backstory and all the hocus pocus out of mm. it and just look at it as to what it is and because I, I i like it for what it is just bare bones enjoy it for what it is when i was in my teens i loved the fact that it's based on a true story because it made me poo my pants even harder but it does feel like an early episode of the x-files or oh, more completely. actually it's more like an episode of unsolved mysteries <laughs> did you ever watch unsolved mysteries i did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the music do 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 yeah right that scared the shit out of me as a child <laughs> and it feels like one of those where it's hit um that that guy in his big mac in a in a a steamy alley, like, <laughs> just walking through telling this mysterious story of a dude getting abducted by aliens. So it does feel like that. So if you're going to take it on that merit, on you know, that's the sort of film it is. Yes. I think there are good things about it, which we will no doubt talk about. Yeah. yeah. You know, I do think, it, you know, that there are some pretty good elements. There are some absolutely horseshit elements. <laughs> <laughs> this is my pick, remember, so you know that's a given on a movie of mine. You know, there will be there will be good and there will be bad. <laughs> when I remembered I'd seen it, I remembered, like Unsolved Mysteries, it scared the life out of me as a child. And it was definitely one of those films what I'd watched at my nana's house <laughs> uh, right after an ep- episode of Unsolved Mysteries or V or The Outer Limits. One of those crazy like yeah, yeah. sci-fi TV series. Yeah, um, that's what I was trying to... Sc- it does feel like Outer Limits. I wouldn't go so far as to say X-Files. No, it's not as Outer good Outer Limits X-Files. is like the crappy version of X-Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'm hearing here, though, Sai, is that we've actually... Because James never saw this before. We've actually got like a, almost a rose-tinted view of it already because we're looking at it through a veil of nostalgia. Yes. And we're bringing in our actual own life, real-life circumstances at the time. Yeah. As a reminder to how we felt. Don't take Simon down with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I've got a, I've got a quiz for you. Can I? Can I? I've got a question for you. I've got a couple of little go for it. teasers. Right. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Do yeah. you know? Do you know who shot this film? Cinematographer yes. Bill Pope. And there you go. Right. Great. Yeah, that's one of the best bits about it. The it lighting is very good. and the cinematography is amazing. It's superb, isn't it? As it should be for the man who would go on to shoot the Matrix trilogy in Spider-Man. Hey, <laughs> you ain't, you're forgetting <laughs> yeah. the world's end and Team America. That's it. I've there, got here. Elements that I like. Bill Pope's cinematography is fantastic. Boss, good. (laughs) It is quite good. It's really like, it's it's like really vintage lighting schemes. Like it's all really obvious blue moonlights and, you know, the reds are super red. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like an early uh, 90s Tony Scott film. Like everything has got like uh, that. Like that fog effect in the rooms and stuff yeah, like that, yeah, and yeah, slats of light definitely. and what have you. Yeah, so it's, it's really, I mean, it's beautifully lit, beautifully lit. Yeah, the lighting is really good. I think in terms of like how it's shot is just sort of 
a limit to the time period and the budget, I guess. Because um, it feels like TV. It I does think. feel like it TV. feels like mid nineties TV. But I think that was just. I'm, I'm I think a... that's just the time. Of the, the time it came yeah. out. Yeah. I think what you know, it was that sort of. Well, would you class that as a mid budget at that time? Fifteen million. Possibly. Probably in the studio system, that'll probably be classed as a lower budget. Right. Yeah, I, I don't mid, know. Mid is probably around 30. Right. Well, and then your bigger budgets are like your 60s and your 80s at that time, I would think. Yeah. But even like films like, well, I'm just plucking one out of the sky, like your Michael Douglas films from that sort of late 80s, early 90s, you know, they all kind of look a bit crappy when you watch them now. But at the time, they were like perfectly serviceable as movies. That's what movies look like in that budget range. Yeah. I think it's good that you can still see how good the lighting is, despite all that. Because it is lit amazing. It really is. That is the best thing about it. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily just the lighting. I think it's well photographed. I think it's a good-looking film, for, uh, considering its limitations. The time, yeah. That's what I mean. Mm. Yeah, the time, um, budget, etc. Also, the material. I mean, the material, essentially, you've got one section of the film that veers straight into sci-fi horror really mm. the abduction sequence and then you've got that that opening bit in the woods but aside from that it's, it plays out more like a drama i it feel is, it's a yeah. bit more like more like an art house flip yeah. than anything else and that that's where the tv movie element of it comes yes from, yeah from i totally like, agree yeah and that, yeah. unfortunately that's like 80 percent of the film it, it is, is yeah yeah, yeah. It's like watching an episode of Shortland Street, then someone gets horribly abducted <laughs> and killed halfway through. Did, like, I read that because um, it was Paramount, wasn't it, who produced this? The studio behind it. Yeah, yeah. And like when they took on the story, they thought it was really boring, so they, they zhuzhed it up a bit. <laughs> so they did zhuzh up his sort of account of everything and whether they sort of put in a bit more drama behind uh, is the, the people who he was with when he apparently got abducted. And yeah. Uh, I feel really sorry for the T-1000 in this. Maybe that's what drove him to, to get invested in Cyberdyne systems because uh, he had nothing else. <laughs> no, it was before this. It's before this. Oh, yeah, he, of course he, it This is, is his yeah, retirement from Cyberdyne, this era. Yeah, this is a follow-up. <laughs> this is post-Cyberdyne, yeah. And he has a lovely, um, you know, dad bod, you know, timber genuine human male timber of a man who enjoys life you know he's not that like crisp physiqued t1000 anymore or whatever he wants to, you know we're talking about the lighting being one of the best things i think robert patrick is also one of the best yeah things he's ace he's, he's well brilliant good. he's yeah, really he good brilliant. in it yeah C- can i also suggest peter berg is as well i think peter berg's really good in it as no well. he isn't <laughs> what? What? I really isn't. I'm with James on this one. Uh, I love Peter Berg forever because of Friday Night Lights and Collateral as well. He's in Collateral, isn't he? I think he's really good. And I was just like, ooh, yeah, he's definitely better behind the camera doing sports films, not Battleship, because that's rubbish. <laughs> I've seen him in front of the camera be good. He's just not good in this. No, that was really good. (laughs) Fair dues, fair dues. He was just a cardboard cutout there, like to be the less dickish one of the group. I quite liked it, but but then again, this is what this debate is all about: variety. Yeah. What? So, I mean, the film obviously it starts with that, as you were saying, say that extremely portentous shot over the road. With the music slowly building and the lights in the forest growing up, going up and up and up, and then it, like immediately there, you know you're in. We're definitely in late eighties, early nineties, creepy sci-fi territory straight away. With the way that shot, that opener there, and I love all that color palette. You know when they see the red, like they think it's a sunset, 
to begin with in the forest. I love all that. The imagery of it, like the red against the the black of the trees. I just think it's so cool. I think the like the bit the lead up to the abduction is really good. It like teases you quite a bit. So the opening sequence mm, teases mm. you because you're like, oh, what's the close encounters type thing of through the trees and <laughs> and all that? And then it's like, oh no, it's just a car going through the woods. Yeah, and then there's yeah. a bit as well where I'm not sure whereabouts it is in the film, but there's the sheriff driving around. Yeah, this is minutes later actually. Yeah, and he and he's driving, and then he looks out the uh, out of his windshield, and he's like, "Oh my god, what's that?" And you see the reflections on the windshield; it's like a string of red lights. And yeah, you're like holy shit, UFO again, close encounters, and then it cuts back, and it's just a level crossing, and it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So stuff like that, I thought was really nice good. Little, gag, like, little yeah. touches like that were really. They were really nice, like because you know it's an alien movie, so you're basically spending the whole film going, "When am I going to see the UFO and the aliens?" Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I did like all those little teasers. Yeah. The problem is, is that they all both those bits come in the first five minutes. Like that <laughs> invention just deserts it. Then afterwards, what did you guys think of the score? Oh my god, I, I had real issues with the score. Yeah, I I loved it apart from the stupid Gremlins bit, like. <laughs> Yeah. That staccato stuff is horrendous. It's terrible, yeah. Like, and it's out of step with everything. And it's 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 just plain silly. Yeah. Is what it is. It's silly. Yeah. I was amazed to find that the, the composer is Mark Isham. And I was amazed to find that he was Oscar nominated the year before for A River Runs Through This. No because way. Because I thought it... A uh, River Runs Through It, sorry. Because I just found it really like... We talked about the Punisher score oh. having an uh, having a negative impact on that film. This one, I was just like, where have they got this guy from at all? And then I look him up on IMDb, and he's got 172 credits as a composer, and he's been Oscar nominated. <laughs> like, <laughs> so maybe he just wasn't on it for this one. You know, we all have moments where when we can't be asked. This podcast, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is like that that moment. You know, like where. You realise that the material is hamstrung by what's happening. That's you know what what it's supposed to be. So you, they know it's a sci-fi alien thing. So they've gone right. Let's do some of that corny Gremlins kind of string plucking. Bing, 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 you know, and it just doesn't fit with yeah. anything at all. It doesn't work and unless he's like, you know, I don't. I've not looked through whether he's done a lot of sci-fi stuff previously. I know uh, A River Runs Through It is a Western, I believe, directed by Robert Redford. So I don't know if this is even his bag, to be honest, in terms of... But maybe he looked at the material and he was just like, oh, it's a paycheck, I'll just... Yeah, let's do some sci-fi spooky stuff. Yeah, like, it just yeah. doesn't it doesn't work for me. It's really intrusive, and the rest of the time it's not even music. It's just like <laughs> something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't. It was like the equivalent of you know, like a, an A list actor. Then in which case, phoning in a performance. This score was phoned yeah. in. You know, <laughs> Travolta. <laughs> yeah. No, you said that, not me. Not me. <laughs> I like the way, because I feel like the story's told in quite an unconventional way. You know, you've got the abduction at the beginning and you don't really know anything about Travis Walton at all until suddenly, yeah, he's been abducted the heck out of there. And that you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We keep doing a lot of air quotes, sorry, listeners, but yeah, abducted (laughs) the hell out of there. Um, D.B. Sweeney uh, plays Travis Walton. I think it's worth pointing out at this point that he looks like Paul Rudd and Vince Vaughn had a grown-up baby and they poured in half a cup of Mac and Me at the last minute. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he Mac is the worst person in the world. No, no, he's <laughs> not having that. And when we're talking about, um, what's his name, Travis, what's his surname? Walton, Walton. I keep wanting to say Travis Bickle. <laughs> yeah, Travis Different Walton, film. right. Different we film. are referring to, I don't know anything about the real Travis Walton, I'm referring to the characterisation in the movie. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so we're introduced to him, so basically they're out in the woods, they go driving around like men possessed, and then they're in the bar and they decide to tell the sheriff that they've lost their mate and he's been abducted by aliens. Then it flashes back and we see uh, Travis Walton for the first time, as this characterization has him. Uh, he's driving around town with no helmet on on his motorbike. Uh, he decides to, you know, nearly get in a car crash for a laugh, <laughs> I guess. And then he drives up on the sidewalk to collect some donuts and everyone's shouting at him like, oh, Travis, get off the sidewalk. And I'm just like, oh, you fucking twat. <laughs> like, oh, I hate you so much. Like there is you, nothing I could not hate a person more than I do at this moment. Do, do you want to comment on his wardrobe at that point? Double denim, obviously. Rob. All right, right, all right. <laughs> Everyone in this movie is wearing double denim. That's why Rob's picked it. <laughs> where are so Where are we in some American backwater? I, f- I forgot where we are. It's Arizona, I think. Arizona. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's it? It's called something really cool as well, like uh, Snowflake, Arizona. Snowflake. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got the impression. I got the impression that Travis was a bit of a ladies' man by the opening sequence, but it didn't. Yeah. Add, it didn't add up for me. No, nope. like, smashing donuts off some girl who swooned over him in his double denim and then and he then delivers him and... to T-1000's sister in bed <laughs> T-1000 <laughs> and then <laughs> and then yeah well, like, yeah do, I mean were you not at least heart warmed by his plans for a future business James M and T there's no business plan. There's no business activity. There's a kid's crayon drawing. It's entirely based on a pun, isn't it? The whole plan yeah. is based on a pun of empty. <laughs> I'm amazed he didn't eat his. He, well, he didn't present that plan with uh, the remnants of crayons all over his lips. Having eaten and drawn the picture. <laughs> Look at my business plan. <laughs> it's just a drawing. You go on Dragon's Den with that, you're getting booted. No chance. Even that fella from the, who lives under the stairs would come and get you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Rubbish. Absolute we, rubbish. Boys, boys, we've jumped slightly ahead here because we've missed the fact that when it all goes wrong and he gets abducted, they do what every great group of people should do when something goes wrong. They go straight to the pub. <laughs> they don't muck around with anything else. Straight down the boozer. We don't worry about any of that. And then we get introduced to 22-year-old Henry Thomas of E.T. fame, back to haunt me once more. Yeah. Who did he play? Yeah. He's like that, the, the, the hand, is The young he? lad like the in the group, yeah. For the, yeah. Yeah, do you not remember him, James? He's there, obviously, you know. <laughs> oh, what actual guy who played Elliot? And yeah, the actual Elliot, kid yeah. who played yeah, Henry, Henry, yeah, Henry Thomas. I didn't recognise yeah. him. Didn't recognise him. He's now grown up. Yeah. I, I was gutted that this wasn't a sequel to E.T. where E.T. comes back to find his one true love. And uh, yeah, it's I just a nice romantic tale. <laughs> don't want to know anything like that. E.T. 2. This time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> E.T. 2. Back in the habit. I think I think if E.T. 2 asked, e. asked me anything, he'd find out it's always been personal between me and him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah. I, um, he, yeah. 
we're, we're, you know, he's gone missing. The the cops come in. They tell him that he's been abducted by a uh, big light in the sky. And then um, we go to this bit in the morning, don't we, where it's, you know, <laughs> we're in uh, Snowflake, Arizona. We're having a good time. I'm desperately clawing at not doing a Van Damme reference, James. I'm really trying here because... I think we've mentioned Double Denim. Double You're good Denim for this one. episode. That was a good one. Was Am a good I good one. for it? Right, okay, okay. No, no, but I mean like, because I felt like it was a character intro when he came in on his bike. It's like it's like it's a hard target all over again. It's great. Um, <laughs> Chance Boudreaux would not act with such willful abandon of, <laughs> of city traffic laws and purposely try and get into a car crash. Right. The only time he gets into any kind of car accident in Hard Target is when he's shoot jumping over the top of it to shoot it because it's full of badons. Right. <laughs> I am desperate. This guy Travis is a disgrace. Right? An absolute disgrace, and I hate him. I am desperate to see Van Damme in that UFO at the end, roundhouse kicking those aliens in the head. <laughs> this used to be such a nice part of town. <laughs> Boot. This used to be such a nice part of space. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, obviously, because this, this is where we start getting more into Robert Patrick's character, isn't it? Mike. Yeah, and he is brilliant in this film. He is really, he's really good. good. Yeah, he is really good. He's like he a straight-laced, good. simple, hard-working man who's faced with something he can't comprehend, or brackets he made up. Yeah, a character that I've not seen him play before. He usually plays maniac cyborgs or <laughs> sleazy... <laughs> Or sleazy no-goods, like in The Sopranos, where he plays that uh, gambling addict, which he's amazing in that as well. And he's in Sons of Anarchy and stuff like that. And he's even in The X-Files as well. So that yeah, brings yeah. back the, the paranormal. He is, yeah. And he's a bent copper in Copland, isn't he? Yeah, so he usually plays quite scuzzy wrong-uns, doesn't he? But he's actually yeah. a straight-laced family man in yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Albeit with about as much business acumen as his mate Travis, because the house <laughs> is about to be repossessed. <laughs> Because the timeline does go all over the place in this film, doesn't it? So it does. You know, he's he's got his donuts and he's 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 outlined his business plan to T one thousand. Because then you see all their jobs and they're all log cutters, aren't they? So yeah, it's all he's the boss. Like uh, Robert Patrick's like the the sort of leader of their little gang, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you've got Elliot from ET and then you've got uh, you've also got um, Bradley Gregg from Stand by Me. So Keith uh, yeah, Sutherland's yeah. mate in Stand By Me, he's, he's one yeah. of them. I love his hat in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, he's got a really big cowboy hat. Do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets a nacho hat? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not like that. I was like, just, just, just old, old, old Bobby is walking around with a nacho hat the whole time trying to be deadly serious that his mate's been robbed and I just can't take him seriously because he's got this humongous nacho uh, <laughs> I, but I, I like the dynamic between the, the six of them the five of them eventually after Travis gets uh, elected and, oh uh, abducted elected, elected. <laughs> <laughs> the democratic republic of space has chosen you DB Sweeney <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no um, the other guy did you guys ever watch One Tree Hill mm, yeah a, a lad at uni was obsessed with it yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. was Rob <laughs> no, it was me and, and Dave Roycar. There was, there was uh, we used to eulogise, man. Um, well, Dave, um, I'll direct it to Dave because I don't think anyone. <laughs> you know, I don't think well, you guys won't know, but um, Uncle Keith is uh, from One Tree Hill. Is Dallas in the back? The 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 troublemaker. Oh, the badass. Yeah, the yeah, one who's yeah. A bit of a twat. Yeah, and he's put on a little bit of timber since then. <laughs> I, I didn't recognise him at all. He was a bit. He was a bit of a shit, though. I think I missed that whole 
like wh- why they hate each other. I missed all that. They just do. <laughs> yeah, they just do. But then it, they admit in the lie detector test that he didn't really. Yeah. He's just that way inclined. He chopped a tree down and it nearly landed on his head. Yeah. And then he threatened to carve him up with a chainsaw. Yeah, and he was mere inches away from his face with a live chainsaw. I was like, this guy's all right, prick. What's your beef? <laughs> I think he should have had a chainsaw fight, to be perfectly honest with you, because they were both knobheads. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love, James, your main beef with Travis is that he, his disrespect for law and order is so apparent. <laughs> it's my, pointless. There's no uh, point no, no, to his disrespect. <laughs> Mine was that he's, he's an airhead. He's like heads in the clouds, doesn't seem to oh, respect that anybody else. and Because uh, like they're begging him to get get back in the car, get back in the car. And he's like, mm-hmm. just Yeah, yeah. So basically they yeah. finish up a long day of lumberjacking and then <laughs> drive him back. Well, that's what they are, the lumberjacks, aren't yeah, they, essentially? I didn't, know, I didn't know that was the, you know, the vernacular for... It might not be. It might be like a innuendo or something that I'm not aware of in my cosseted life but uh, (laughs) but, yeah they'd finish up a long day of lumberjacking each other (laughs) that's not even worse good grief and they decide to drive back I mean what I wrote in my notes was in that van worst commute ever like we're all crammed into into his van like no space to move whatsoever right just squabbling and talking rubbish and one of them's brought a Radio with him. It's only at this point that I realised that it was the 70s. I just yeah, it yeah. like a well, poor part of rural America. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's because rural America still looks like that. <laughs> so it's really yeah. hard to... No offence to our American listeners. No, no, I would, I would wager that 1993... Uh, Snowflake, Arizona, and 1975, Arizona are not that dissimilar. I don't think you know budget Possibly wasn't not, probably no. needed that much on redressing that set or whatever, you know, to make yeah. it look like it. But uh, yeah, then they see this light, and then Travis wants to get out, and he gets out, and and they're all like, "Travis, get back in because something mental's happening, and we don't know what it is, and it'd be really stupid to go up and approach it." And he's just like, "Whoa, yeah, let's just go and do it anyway because." <laughs> yeah. It might idiot. give me donuts. He's a man. free spirit, man. He's a free spirit. He's a <laughs> cock. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, yes, he gets abducted. Um, can we just? Well, have he doesn't a little... get abducted at this point. We should say. Oh no, that's a good get... point. Yeah, sorry, go yeah, for it, James. He sorry. gets zapped by the light in the sky. You think he's getting abducted? It sort of half lifts him up, doesn't it? And then pile drives him into the ground. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then. Oh, the other five, rightfully, shit themselves and start driving off. Uh, T-1000's booking it like nobody's business through the woods. <laughs> and then after about half an hour of driving, he realises he's left his mate behind. So he lets all the other lads out, and they're fuming because they've been left on the side of the road. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, God knows what's going on, and we're in the spooky woods. And he goes back looking for him, and what do you know? He's nowhere to be found. And thankfully, he's not in the movie again for another hour. <laughs> wow, you really did not like Travis. Yeah, this is. I mean, DB Sweeney has had a load of TV credits since then, but never really smashed up a mainstream movie again. Well, this wasn't a mainstream movie, was it? So we don't really have to worry about it. Put out by a major studio, like yeah, yeah. He had his shot. It's not gone well. Yeah, I, I, I think Sweeney comes into his own later. I'm going to be diplomatic and say that. Well, he takes one for the team, doesn't he? Bloody hell. More ways than one. Even more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took the words right out of my mouth. 
So, yeah, I'm not dissing him. I'm dissing the character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. like the characterization. I think yeah. the guy's a dick and he deserves everything he gets. Yeah, like ca- kind of like the way I dislike Jennifer Jason Lee's performance a couple of weeks ago on Good Time. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, a bit, bit difficult to get on board with, isn't it? Yeah, just didn't like what that character was doing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, and then, yeah, of course. Now, I like all this where everyone turns very quickly on Robert Patrick. The T-1000 doesn't get any love from anybody. Even his wife turns yeah. on him. I found that especially cold i feel if that if this is like actually true you know is he called mike rogers if this all actually happened to mike rogers is in and his life his family life got ruined his work life got ruined all because of this mm. you know what supposedly happened or didn't happen i feel really sorry for it <laughs> like oh yeah like, yeah it's horrible and for the first two thirds of this film it is pretty much his film it's it's all about definitely definitely yeah mike rogers definitely. it's not about travis at all it's about no this guy who's had to deal with all with with a shitstorm from the little town he's living in because yeah. he's basically been accused of murdering his best friend and uh and all these mates are accessories to that yeah and they all like i say they all turn against him and you know it it's is horrible. quite sad it is really you know if that really did happen to this guy yeah it's pretty tragic. I, I'd open yeah, this absolutely. up to interpretation. Uh, sorry, not interpretation. I'd open up this up to comment. But as far as I read, because I, I tried to read up, you know, I was trying to be conscientious and have some facts ready for this film. Uh, he's the only one who's not failed a lie detector test, I think. And he's done it a few times. Wow. Yeah, because they, they were saying that the, they did it again in the late 90s and they all passed their lie detector yeah. test. Yeah. I mean, but we, you know, we kind of know nowadays that they're sort of unreliable oh anyway. yeah yeah of course of course jeremy course. kyle certainly does <laughs> <laughs> topical, topical. And, and you know this is shit talking about arsehole yeah I'm, i mean i will drink to that <laughs> fuck to that, that guy yeah, yeah chin chin sorry for listeners overseas yeah jeremy kyle was a talk just google him yeah just google him. he was a talk show host in the uk a judge in the uk referred to his show as uh human bear baiting um and it's finally been taken off the air after a tragic circumstance anyway we move swiftly on the note i was up to just says peter berg is really good in this um <laughs> right, where are you getting this from what bit of it which bit of acting were you like for what who's cutting together the academy reel for this best supporting actor nod this year it's definitely coming his way which part tell me i want specifics no, no, you know, when I think about it, all I can think of is um, Ivan Raimi going, I ain't got no change, man. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, I liked his earnestness. I liked his little role. I'm happy with him. He's a friend of mine. I like him. He's not really a friend of mine. I just, you know what I mean. He's Mark Wahlberg's best friend. Is he? In real life, is he? Yeah, they've made like five movies together. He's like, Mark Wahlberg's like, I can't believe I made such a great friend at this time in my life. <laughs> Friday Night Lights, man, forever loving. Yeah, him. Yep. yeah, great director, great director. Cool. Yeah. I like the Kingdom as well. Actually, I thought the Kingdom was great. Really good. Hey, that could come up on here because that's that, that was uh, that was wasn't very it well wasn't, reviewed no, back no, in the day. Yeah, no, that's, so. a, that's a belter that. Yeah, yeah. So back to the unfortunately back to Fire in the Sky. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 well, no. I, when his wife was not believing him, I was upset with her because 
I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that she didn't believe him. Of course she wouldn't believe them, though. One of their mates has gone missing. They've been out with chainsaws in the woods all day with no witnesses. What, <laughs> what the hell are you going to think? Like, well, I, what's more plausible? But I'm a traditionalist, and if I, I would like to believe that my wife would listen to me if I told her that I'd not been chainsawing my mate to death. He was abducted by aliens. <laughs> Rob, you said you you said you'd read up on this. Like, was that bit for the film where they saw him get banded around by a, a, a light in the sky? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Or was that added in? Because no, I I I actually don't know the answer to that question, mate. Um, I've read up about the film and and how the the film. Imp- <laughs> I can't really say. I read up how the film has changed from the book because that's the question you're asking, isn't it? And I don't have an answer <laughs> to it. So no, I've read up around the topic, but no, no, I, well, I don't actually know. I believe I, I believe that was his story, and he stuck to it. But that's all I know from that. If they'd seen that happen and they were like convinced that there was something weird in the sky, and you know, then he disappeared. I mean, for me, Robert Patrick sold it to me. I thought I was like, I believe you. I, be- I mean, yeah, yeah. I no, really I did. I did. <laughs> I think it's horrible, isn't it? That he, that they left him there. You know, he got swanton bombed by that light, and then they legged it, and then they went back. <laughs> and he much was... more of a power bomb than a swanton bomb. It was. Swanton <laughs> bomb is yeah. off the top ropes, whereas a, bo- a power bomb is more like a propulsive <laughs> move downwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Travis Walton experience, you know, the, like the subtitle, The Day I Was Power Bombed by a UFO. <laughs> I'd have bought that book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's I think it's the truth. I think it's the truth. Anyway, anyway, anyway. But diving all over the place. Um the the town doesn't believe him. There's some lovely scenes in like a town meeting where everyone's giving him rent and he protests his innocence. And he's been kicked out by this point. Yeah. Um. And Dallas is being a massive poop. Um. Uh, Uncle Keith from Montreal Hill is being a huge poop. Won't play ball with a lie detector test. Um. But then he eventually does. Oh god, um, that lie detector back and forth goes on. I felt like I was watching that in real time. Yeah. That takes place over about three days, whether they decide they're going to have the lie detector test or not, right? And mm. Jesus Christ, it's like, no, we're not doing it. Oh, let's go and find Dallas. They want to do a lie detector test. No, I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden they'll go, <laughs> we're all doing it. And you see every one of these conversations. <laughs> uh, you know, um, when he goes to the town and um, walks into a town meeting, everyone's saying, you know, like, and I keep thinking of, you know, that bit in South Park, like, they took a job! <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? Well, when, when um, T-1000 appears, he's really good there. Um, you know, given, like, uh, he's getting an emotional... He just morphs out of the floor and... He's <laughs> <laughs> just, my one quibble with that scene, he's just too clean-shaven in it. You know, he's supposed to be, um, you know, like, a man on his on his knees, but, like, you know, I mean, looking across the gamut of our lovely faces tonight, not one of us are clean shaven, and we haven't said our family. <laughs> hey, he's keeping up appearances, Rob. Everyone's thinking he's murdered his mate. He's keeping up appearances. I thought, I thought he just insane. showed up by accident. Like... <laughs> yeah, it was a reshoot, and they were like, "Oh, right. fuck's sake, Robert, you shaved." <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, uh, yeah. Now, then we've got that brilliant bit where I love it when the phone rings and. Uh, Travis is back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that we've skipped all the second act because this is where it gets really bogged down for me. It's really, really boring, that whole middle section. 
What, the drama? The TV drama? Yeah, yeah. Like, they don't make yeah. enough out, like, or the media circus that descends on the town and all the UFO nutters who are, like, sort of... Sorry, I shouldn't call them nutters. That's... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the UFO enthusiasts. Yeah. <laughs> I think, we, you know, we just, we just <laughs> desecrated the, the myth of time travel a few episodes ago, so I don't think this is a problem. <laughs> but, like, they could have had way more interesting stuff done with that. Instead, you've just got these idiots squabbling with each other, right? You've got Dallas the badass, T-1000, who's like the stand-up guy, Peter Berg, who's like his shadow, who just follows him around wherever he goes, and then the other two have just disappeared and never yes. to be seen again, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> um, Maybe they've been abducted, I don't know. Th- there, is a very, <laughs> there is a very clumsy indicator of the tourist, sorry, the, like the media tourist uh, maelstrom that's going on, and they have two Japanese tourists walk past the screen yeah, holding yeah. cameras, um, and that's that. I felt that was um, uh, clumsy. It was the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, but right, Travis comes back, and suddenly we're back in the game. We're back in this. Uh, you know, we've stepped away from Hallmark. We're now on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, he. They've got to go pick him up at uh, a petrol station, and he's naked. Yeah, naked. Obviously, he, yeah, he's dead wet and everything. And I loved his performance here. You know, when they tried to touch him, and he went, "Ah!" I loved all that. <laughs> <laughs> I loved all that. <laughs> when I said before that I thought I hadn't seen it and then it all came flooding back. Yeah. This was the bit what I remembered. Like, yeah. I really remembered. And it was that where he's like sort of curled up, where they're inside and he's yeah, curled up yeah. and, he, and, and he sees the little, the four little fingerprints on the window. Oh, gross. And they're like little alien fingerprints. And no, I was just like, no. and then in my head I was like, I watched this when I was about, what, this was 93. So I was seven at the time, yeah. I was like, and I vividly you were there on opening day. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, so yeah, seven, eight, seven. So that sort of like not even reached ten when I probably watched it at my nana's house, and it's like, all right, nana, as if I didn't have like enough <laughs> fodder for a horrendous string of nightmares. You show me <laughs> shit like this when I was a child. <laughs> I was a bloody old nan. <laughs> I quite enjoyed the irony of the T-1000 finding a naked man in the street. Yeah, 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 it's quite good. Perhaps quite good. Travis had been blasted back through time to save the future. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, man, that bit is scary when he sees the fingerprints because I was like, uh, with yeah, the aliens, yeah, yeah. that they would they dropped him off and, oh God, yeah, no. Yeah, horrible, no, and my pants shit. are chock full of poo at this point. And um, <laughs> that, that <laughs> the moment where... <laughs> James, yeah. <laughs> When um yeah when they find him I absolutely love it. There's the horrible silly Gremlins music going on <laughs> while it's happening. But aside from that, forget all that. It's really good. I really liked it when they pointed the microphone at him to get him to speak, and he like he was terrified of it. Like <laughs> yeah, I love how good he was. He was so like animalistic and uh, he's a man stripped down to his basics by what those goddamn aliens did to him. Yeah, or he's a maniac and he made it all up. <laughs> was he nominated for any awards for this? Uh, he was cr- cruelly overlooked, I believe. <laughs> yeah, the FBI, uh, the FBI, the fucking UFO nutters turn up. Yeah, I hated those guys that showed up. Um, you know who were saying, um, 
uh, it's very important we get, you know, audio of this guy right now. And they were just, you know, they haven't done anything. They're just a couple of weirdos. They're not scientists. No, no, no. Get this man to the authorities. Get him to a hospital. No, no, but um, T-1000 decides he's going to call these guys first, uh, which is, I think, one of, you know, again, he's not made some great decisions in this film, but I think this is one of his worst ones. I mean, if this was 2019, these guys wouldn't even exist. They'd be, like, just bitching about the Game of Thrones finale in their <laughs> mum's basement. You know, like, they wouldn't yeah. be out sh- hunting for U- UFO survivors. I know! Nerds were so much more proactive back in 1975. No, not yeah, in 1975. Better. Better, better caliber. Yeah, be better. Be better. But I think it, it, it's like the, the time of when it was made, because that was quite at its height, wasn't it? The old, like, obsession mm-hmm. with alien abductions and stuff was... Yeah, the, ni- the early nineties was yeah. to the late nineties, and I, I do wonder whether that's one of those things that was uh, crowbarred in. I think know, so. To uh, judge it up a little bit, yeah. you know, get some of this, get some conspiracy stuff going on. Yes, definitely. Yeah, you know that that's why the film's worth telling in nineteen ninety three. In the eighties, no one cared. No one had any interest in that at all. No, but the nineties seemed to be the sort of spark for it. Yeah. this was before, just before the X Files. I think when the X Files came out at the end of the 93 and this was sort of like at the start of 93 yeah yeah but obviously they probably were probably in production at the same the pi- time yeah, yeah yeah they were all in the pipeline at the same time so there was definitely a feeling that the alien thing was like a big thing to happen yeah i i also feel um feel sorry they feel quite similar as well yes they do yeah the alien abduction episodes in the early seasons of the x-files and this film mm. feel quite similar yeah absolutely yeah i th- i think so the x-files undoubtedly got better as it went on but the early ones it was each you know each episode was sort of a standalone episode, wasn't it? Oh yeah, monster of the week! It was amazing. It could have easily slotted so, so into good. that. I think. Yeah, I think what's quite interesting at this time, you know, I, I said earlier that I felt like it felt like television, and back in the nineties, there was a clear difference between stuff that was shot for TV and stuff that was shot for film. There was, being yeah, distributed there was. And cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas now, you the lines are so blurred, and arguably the best stuff is on TV rather than in movies because movies yeah. are just tent poles or super independent these yeah, days. Yeah. There's no middle ground. So when I said it's it looked like it was on TV, I'm not comparing it to TV standards of today. No, no, I'm of talking course, of TV no, I totally in agree. The, yeah, in yeah. the 90s, know what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because they're two totally different things, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, TV today and TV back then. Yeah, and I think that middle portion, especially, is like that. 100. percent It is. I think the the only thing sort of elevating it to film is, as we've said, the lighting. And Robert Patrick. I think he is the one thing what keeps this in a film yeah. level. I hope he got the lion's share of that uh, 15 million budget, took his T-1000 cachet afterwards <laughs> and went and did this movie to play a lead role, a lead man. Yeah. And just play a normal I guy. Like yeah, yeah, I like yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to say some dialogue rather than just, like, look angry. <laughs> well, you've hit the, the yeah. nail on the head, though. Like, isn't it? This is more of a character movie than it is a sci-fi movie, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Successfully or non-successfully, it's it's more of yeah, a character oh, study yeah. than it is a yeah. sci-fi movie. Um, well, like Simon said, it's Robert Patrick's movie for two thirds, and then he sort of disappears for the third act until the epilogue at the end, really. Yeah, yeah, because we we essentially get to the thing what everyone's waiting for. You know, whoever went to watch this film at the cinema, my nana probably. From the <laughs> <side>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Where's the fucking spaceman? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're waiting for this bit. Sit down, Nana. <laughs> so yeah, they they have a, a housewarming party and it's all a bit weird and he gets a bit sort of 
Yeah, he's a bit overwhelmed by everything. He gets like a, a flashback, doesn't he? He gets like a Gulf War style flashback, doesn't he? Yeah, triggered by maple syrup. <laughs> well, no, I think it's triggered more originally <laughs> by, uh, by, you know, like everyone in his face giving him grits, giving him grief. Like, oh, it's good to see you. Yeah, he doesn't he's like under all the, the table, attention. isn't he? He's struggling. Yeah, he's under the table. And then, and then the, the, I mean, this is my, when I look back, uh, movie scenes I love from the middle of the 90s, that syrup going across the table then dripping off the side is right up there. I absolutely love I it. I mean, because I've never seen this before, I was like, where are they going with these shots? Because obviously it's like the good, the bad and the ugly when they're cutting between the extreme close-ups <laughs> of the <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> and I'm like, why are they going in on the syrup so much? And then it match cuts to his hand going through goop, doesn't it? It and we're does, back on yeah. The spaceship. And we're apparently in the real world of The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh yeah. And there's, uh, can we just get another shout out for doing things on set with practical effects? Because that clearly Ooh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's super. I tell you what, this this ten minutes or whatever it is in the film is is brilliant. It's really really good, and I'm not even messing about at all. Like it's it's excellent. Mm. This is what everybody on the movie was looking forward to doing. You can tell the directors on point with this. The direction's great. The screenplay is great at this stage because there's no dialogue whatsoever. This has all just been scripted down as to what's going to happen. The cinematography is brilliant and the practical effects are ace. Like, and it really builds. It's a great sequence. Yeah, really it, great it's, sequence. And it's horrible, isn't it? it it's, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I think it's like, because this is sci-fi horror for me. As soon as he wakes up and his hands are in the goo and then, he, and then he's in that anti-gravity, I mean, like, ah, oh the inside of the ship, um, it's like a subterranean snot factory. That whole place. Yeah. It's absolutely revolting. Yeah, it's disgusting, yeah. I just want to like shoehorn in a review, which I think Yeah. This made me laugh when I sorry. I mean it's a it's not a review, it's just a comment on the film. So this is from um a chap called Tom on Letterboxd, who reviewed it three and a half stars. Me for the first hour and twenty minutes. Is this supposed to be scary? Me during that scene. Oh god, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's that's me going to bed happy. But it's true. It's fucking terrifying. It is. Oh, it's horrendous. Because they. Didn't... I've never seen it before. Uh, You've got to bear this in mind. I'm uh, watching yeah, this. Cool. Brand you, new you were totally like, cold on this. And you've watched this Hallmark movie for an hour and a half to get to this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm fuming. I'm like ready to ring you up, Rob, and give you both barrels. Like I'm a busy man. I haven't got time to watch this rubbish. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, I've got so many questions because this is the first time I've been able to talk to anyone about this film pretty much. So <laughs> I'm so yeah. excited to be able to do so. But the um, I love the inside of the ship. I love it when they, uh, the anti-gravity stuff. I have no idea where they are. Are they inside the ship cool. or are they on another planet? I had no idea. Um, he loses yeah. his snowflake key um, and he sees that there's um, these bodies, not bodies, but like these like entities all like stood around a certain place and he floats down towards them in this horrible anti-gravity thing and you're like, no, oh, you no, the, I don't oh, want to miss... Which bit? Oh, the, the body. Oh, the yeah, dead yeah. body. So yeah, yeah, he falls. Horrible. So he wakes up in a cocoon. Oh, Should we call it a cocoon? It's a, it's a cocoon, yeah. isn't it, essentially? Yeah. Yeah, of Why snot, not? basically. Right? <laughs> Breaks his way out of that and it's all zero G and he's floating around and that's all really well shot. And anyway, because he's not an astronaut, he's a dick. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Won't let it go. Won't let it go. <laughs> he goes slamming into one of the other cocoons. Right? And he goes in there. And 
and his head goes straight through, and it's like there's just like some guy with all of his organs taken out of his ah, and he's he's alive, he's alive, and he's like this is he's really good acting at the stage. He's like everything's like oh I'm terrified, oh I'm gonna be sick, oh I'm terrified, I'm gonna be sick, oh I'm gonna shit my pants, I'm terrified again. It's all really good. This is DB Sweeney swinging for the fences here as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, I bet when he read the script, he was like, "This is the only bit I want to do." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be nude outside a truck stop. Well, maybe not, do that. Not, where, not, not when he was like saw the the set and he realised you were going to see the contours of his cock and balls when he's covered in <laughs> a balloon suit. Well, no, but I, I like the invention of it. You know the. <laughs> I like the invention of it all. You know, like um, there's quite a unique take on the standard tropes of alien abduction here, isn't yes. there? You know, like that. Like so, right for the for the listeners, he floats down into this area where all these you know aliens are there, but they're not actually the aliens; they're the spacesuits. And he yes. gets see, so that thing that you see, which is the white alien with the black eyes, it's inferred in this that they're actually that's the suits, the exoskeleton to the wiry little horrible little walnut looking things that live on the Space inside. Suits. And I think you're being generous calling them wall- walnuts. They look like scrotums. <laughs> <laughs> For, and he gets, <laughs> and then one of them sneaks up on him, doesn't he? I'm like, yeah. ah, ah, look behind you, look behind you. Because one, yeah, one of the suits, one of the suits starts moving, doesn't it? And, and moves its head. And you're like, right, my uh, my pants again, you know, I've already changed them once, but they're going to need another change by this point. And then, yeah, they Terrifying. drag him down the, drag him, ah, oh, it's awful. And they The dragon him goes on He's being dragged ages. by him. Oh, yeah, it's it horrible. It's like 10 minute movie, yeah. yeah. It's like a short film in the middle of the film, basically. It is, yeah. Like, if you just shown this bit, and nothing else everyone would be like oh my god horrendous that would live with you in the memory Uh, and then yeah so he gets laid down on this thing and this is where the music cuts like really mercifully there's no music at this point and all you can hear is these horrible noises like (laughs) where he's getting you know like stuff putting his eyeballs and in the side of his head and you know you hear his bones going like and uh, all sorts of awful things going on to him, and that yeah, side that like that balloon material comes down over his body and holds him in place and gives an outline of his genitals, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and and before you know it, you know like they're all looking at him, and and it's the I love the cold way that those brilliant puppets look at him, like they're just interested in him. Like, have you seen this? Look at this guy. Let's see what he's he does. No like poking with stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got no respect <laughs> for the rules S&M, of the road. Isn't it? Yeah. Just, it is. It is. Um, and. Then this is where the Branston pickle comes out, and they put it all down his mouth. Oh yeah, smear that <laughs> stuff right down your face, DB Sweeney. Teach you for jaywalking back in Snowflake. He wasn't jaywalking. <laughs> he was wa- he was driving his motorcycle sidewalk. with willful abandon on the sidewalk. Right? <laughs> he could have hit whatever, a child, right? Whatever vehicular offence he committed, he was getting payment here by <laughs> by a Branston pickle. I'm cheering at this point, like yes. <laughs> But it's horrible, and they're doing it. Oh, and it's just disgusting. And like my heart is going now. You can hear it. You know, well, you can't hear it, but I can hear it. Like, it's horrible. It's disgusting. Someone say something. There's that overhead oh. shot where he's looking down. He's on the table, and it's looking down over the top. And they've cut a hole in the balloon suit for his eye, and for his mouth, yeah, his yeah. eyes like wide open, and he's just like, oh. Ooh, ooh. Mm. During this like steamy S and M night with Alf and his mates. <laughs> Imagine if it was Alf. 
He's just been assaulted by a couple of bollocks, basically. <laughs> oh, no, so I thought there's a few of them there. There's, and there's, like, one, like, there's a senior testicle at the back who's just watching <laughs> yeah. everything and just nodding There's always a senior testicle. And then, <laughs> and then he steps forward and then he starts to administer some stuff. And, like, and his neck goes, in, oh, as well, like, oh, I'd like a little bit of look at that. Oh, you're squeamish. Oh, I like that. Oh, it's awful. I like, uh, I love it. And it's the stuff of nightmares. And I think it's a brilliant, brilliant scene. It and is. I'd like to ask you, in terms of traditional abduction, uh, you know, the traditional tropes of abduction scenes in films, have you seen a more scary one than that? No. No, I think it's really well done. I haven't seen a lot of alien abduction films, I don't think, to be honest. And there aren't actually that many. There probably are loads, but not that make it through to the mainstream. Yeah, this is no. the problem. I, I have watched some terrible ones, and um, this is by far and away the best one. Do all of the other ones have things going up the person's bum? There is quite a bit of that. There's quite a bit of that. Because that's a trope, isn't it? Th- that's got to be one of the first ones, hasn't it, though? It- um, I don't know. I think for... Yeah, because, like, the the original ones, because, like, obviously, seven, when was Close Encounters? Was that 77? It was late well, 70s, yeah, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. Um, and so that sort of opened up the... What's it called now? Pandora's Box to this sort of thing. Which is why, you know, when we're talking about the 90s suddenly had this obsession with aliens. I don't know why it didn't happen in the 80s. Well, Spielberg was obviously obsessed, wasn't he? Because he made two in the space of a decade. He did, but but pop culture didn't <laughs> didn't catch on yeah. as much. But were they, more, were they more friendly then as well? 90s took it to a more sinister... Yeah, can we just... E.T.'s e- 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 not friendly. Let's not go there. <laughs> He's not... No, no, but... He, he goes He goes and hides in a little boy's back garden. As soon as he gets the okay, he's up in his bedroom. Let's not go there. He's not friendly. <laughs> he is. He doesn't do anything to him. He loves him. I, I'm, I wish he were dead. Have you not shown your kids E.T. yet, Rob? Have I, hell? I don't want to scar him. Never, never will. Never. Not Mac and me either. Oh. No, no. Yeah, but Mac no. and me is like a Happy Meal version, isn't it? It's no, just there to sell I mean, burgers. Mac, oh, yeah, it is. But Mac and me is, is... Right, you know in Mac and me, there is a, a boy in a wheelchair in Mac and me, and he gets thrown yeah. he's thrown off a cliff in that film. I know, Paul <laughs> Rudd takes it onto a, a chat show in America as Did a clip for whatever movie he's... No, he's done it like 18 times. Has he? Every time he goes on Conan, he goes, oh, we've got a clip of the movie and he plays that clip from Mac and me. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> the disabled kid being thrown off the edge of the cliff. <laughs> did, you, did you know that at the end of that same film, you know, the disabled kid got saved? You know, as if he's not having a bad enough time, he gets shot in the chest at the end of the film. <laughs> like, he gets waxed. Absolutely waxed. It, it's Honestly, it's the most despicable kids film I've ever seen. Um, Spielberg went back and took the guns out of E.T. Mac and me was like, turn it up. Let's, let's hit this kid with yeah. some lead. Like. And, yeah, yeah, the director of Mac and me, when everyone was going all snowflakey on it, were like, you know, let's not just have one bullet. Let's let's unload the whole clip on the poor kid. <laughs> let's John Woo his ass. Anyone got any pigeons? Let's sail some pigeons across it. Uh, I think the point we're trying to make is, no, there hasn't been any other as effective uh, abduction sequences in film (laughs) in recent time. I mean, the alien question is always going to be one that's interesting. I think because it's, it's the one that so far is unanswerable. And I think that's why cinema audiences like it. But um, I, I still... Do they like it? Nobody went to see the film. Independence Day. <laughs> Every fucker went to see Independence Day. Was that like... Exactly. When was yeah, that, like, yeah, yeah. three years later? Was that 96? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, two. yeah. That's what we want to see. We want to see Will Smith Punching fighting aliens. We don't want to see some people in 
the T-1000 in some backwater in America, like chopping down trees and riding to the police. I want to see Mil Swift, Will Smith hugging a cigarette machine at a sodden gas station going, <laughs> in the middle of the night. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway, right. Um, and then after that, um, you know, we cut away mercifully and it's years later and Paul Rudd, Mac from Mac and Me and Vince Vaughn all roll together. They're having a baby. Well, they've had a baby and they're having another baby. And Robert Patrick, T-1000, has become a recluse. Um, and we have a kind of a weird coda, don't we? Like, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't... It didn't sit right with me this time. Yeah, bit. talk to the... me, because this this is not my favourite bit. <laughs> this was the bit I was saying before, where, like, if this is the true story, that the guy who got abducted, suddenly he's, like, over it, you know, he's fine, he's got four kids or whatever, and then his mate, who had to go through the ringer of being accused of murdering him, you know, his name tarnished and his, his marriage was mm, over and mm. his family are over because they... It's really harsh. And then you end and you go and see Robert Patrick and he's, you know, totally washed up with his haggard long beard and his big long hair and he's not seen him for years. Wearing a huge hat inside the house. (laughs) Quite interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Because we jump two years later, don't we? After the abduction thing, we go to the present day and the, the cops going like, oh, this is definitely a hoax, you know, because that's what it's been commonly regarded as in real life is that it was a hoax. And then we jumped two years forward, which was a bit jarring for me. I, I didn't really get that until we saw... No, it, did, it didn't fit right, did no, it? No, because I was just like, why is Travis suddenly like totally over it? And he's like, absolutely fine now. Like They didn't really make that clear. He has a line of dialogue where he says, oh, he hasn't slept correctly. Like, correctly. He hasn't slept properly for... <laughs> well, that sounds like he's got bad posture in bed. Like, he's, he hasn't slept, had a good night's sleep for years, basically. Well, you would do after you've been chugged full of Branston pickle in the middle of the <laughs> but night. But like, he yeah. seems quite well adjusted. Generally, he's got a Volvo and all sorts. Yeah. He stopped driving his <laughs> he stopped driving his motorbike on the pavement, which is a which is a step forward for him. The absolute degenerate <laughs> didn't open that motorcycle shop though, did they? No, because poor, poor Robert Patrick. No. He's either so he goes and see the T one thousand. He's either he's now a broken man or he's about to embark on a solid country and western solo career. <laughs> <laughs> Rob must be loving Robert Patrick's outfit in this. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I would term his um, his outfit at that at that point puke Brian is what I would say uh, after the country and western singer Luke Brian. Uh, no, I, I the only bit, right. I didn't like any of that stuff to be honest. I didn't like the fact that they fell out. I mean, he's got a denim gilet on and denim jeans. Like you've got to be into that. Well, all stonewashed with a huge white cowboy hat. Lovely stuff. I just, I like, but as we've learned from last week with good, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks back with Good Time, that I like it when. You know, the characters get what they deserve and every now and then I kind of like it, you know, to work out. Nothing works out for Robert Patrick. He goes to see Travis Bickle in the hospital and they tell him that, you know, he, he tells him like, oh, you left me there. And he gets upset with him. He's like, well, you left me here. He's like, it was you your know, that kind of stupid bastard. You're the one who you left me. I know. <laughs> exactly. But no, and they fall out for two years over that. So he goes up to go and see him and then all... Travis Bickle can really say is I don't you know they won't come back I don't think they like me what does that even mean I don't Nothing. even I don't, it's I, this such is a weak way to end the film it is I don't like this bit at all they could have ended it on the cop saying it was a hoax I think I don't think they needed to do that jump forward two years uh, yeah like all you needed was the sort of you know the the as what happens at the end of these films where it's based on a true story is you get the little blurb saying 
this happened to this person, this happened yeah, to this yeah. person. That's all yeah. you needed. So it should have ended with the cop going, this is definitely a hoax. Finish it on that. Travis married Robert Patrick's sister. Yeah. Forgot what the actual guy's name is. <laughs> the inference is um, is that Ray, who, aka the T1000, aka Robert Patrick, has been living up in the woods since this all went down. Never even seen his nephew. No. Mm. Didn't even know he, there was a second one. Yeah. Hasn't seen his own children for two years or whatever. And has split from his wife. So. It's um, he's just gone up and lived in the woods, basically. Yeah. So, so this is if this is like the the you know this is the true story. What happened? You've either got uh, he's really sold himself into the lie, or yeah, he genuinely believed it happened, and this Travis guy has totally screwed him over. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I also think that if you truly believed it, you know, if if that was the the way, you know, like if that was his motivation, that well, I truly believe this lie. Why on earth would you buy yourself a creepy cabin in the middle of nowhere with no one else near you? You wouldn't it's be like, hey, in the woods, would I'd you? Be like... No, I'd, I'd be getting on the next train to the New York City. The biggest city I could find. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going nowhere, boys. I can start my country and western career from right here. Well, you know what? Rap music's not too far away. I'm going to be the first white rapper. I <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, what about bro country, you know? What about... Um, Hick hop, you know, he could be the first hick hop artist. <laughs> he could be. He certainly looked like it. Do you guys not listen to hick hop? No, of course I don't, I think, Rob. I, no, I think, no, I do not. <laughs> I, think, I think you need to broaden your horizons. Simon, I've been in the car with Robert when he's had this stuff on, and you absolutely do not need to broaden those horizons. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'd rather be abducted by aliens than Branston Pickle <laughs> waterboarding with Branston Pickle like Paul Travis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Can I get your best bit? Give me your best bit of the film. I mean, the best bit for me is the sequence on the spacecraft. It's absolutely brilliant. It is, it is, it is. It's the big redeeming sequence for me on the film. And, you know, Bill Pope's cinematography throughout is excellent because he's one of the best cinematographers in the world, so yeah, yeah. obviously. But uh, still quite new to features at this stage. I think he was a music video guy beforehand, um, and he'd done Darkman leading up to this. Love Darkman. The film looks great. It looks better than it has any right to, to be perfectly honest. I think so, especially in the lighting state. Yeah. My favourite bit is really specific. I mean, you know, obviously the abduction thing's amazing. And the cinematography, as as you've said, but my favourite bit was when he's in the hospital after they find him, and uh, he keeps having flashbacks. But then there's one specific bit where a doctor like grabs his head, but then it suddenly cuts, and it's just this big-headed alien doing the same thing. <laughs> I really enjoyed that bit. <laughs> so that's great. Because uh, you hadn't seen the aliens at this point, so it was just like, oh, it's great. I just loved it. it was so good. Uh, I, I, I love both of those bits, I'm going to be honest. Um, I also love, um, yeah, we're just going to say a bit that we love. Um, my, like the bit that I felt like, oh yeah, man, was when he um, was being dragged along and he managed to land a kick on one of the aliens' heads. He managed to boot <laughs> and it was really satisfying and the thing went, as it reeled away and I was like, yeah, you stick it to the man. Yeah, go for it, yeah. Uh, because I've always wanted to kick a fictional alien in the head <laughs> were you were you one of the people who cheered in the cinema when will smith punched the alien in no no this, we all cheered no, when that no. happened it's really interesting you say this actually mate because 
you know when we talk about like I've this is my coming clean episode. This is like therapy for me. <laughs> James rolling his eyes. Uh, this is like where I you know like because I I realize as well that it's not the aliens that are all like toothy and tentacly that did that thing with me gut. It was the ones that are almost human, the humanoid ones. You know the ones with the white skin and the. Uh, the big black eyes, the ones that have the very distinct four limbs in a humanoid shape. Yeah, yeah. Those ones. And this had um, loads of loads of elements of that. So, and the uh, the alien in, um, what was that film that we were just talking about where Will Smith punches him in the head? Thank you, mate. Uh, yeah, he it, that was not humanoid. In fact, it looked like a great big... Squid. I don't know. Yeah, a great big squiddy thing that had been dropped on the floor a few times, then microwaved and then hurled out. They scared the um, shit out of me, those aliens. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't like, but because they're, for me, that's like blatantly a creature in a movie. Whereas, yeah, they're monsters, aren't they? Yeah, they're monsters aliens. rather than aliens. Yeah. Jay, you get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do get it, Rob. I'm with you. Don't worry, mate. Thanks. You're not alone. This is a safe space. <laughs> well, we are not alone, are we? According to this. One. <laughs> <laughs> My so, name's Rob Parker, and I believe in UFOs. <laughs> no, I hasten to add, I actually don't. You know, uh, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Um, but I can't help the way it made me feel when I was younger. Anyway, uh, so let us ask the question, boys, for your reconsideration. Fire in the sky. What do you think? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to say no from my perspective. So if you're into stories about alien abduction, you might get more out of this than me, but I can't really recommend people sit through the whole thing as I found the second act a real slog. Uh, If you are curious, though, I'd maybe suggest skipping forward to the sequence on the spaceship as that is genuinely great moment in an otherwise unremarkable film. Fair, I think. Very fair. Yeah, very fair. I'll take that. <laughs> when I bought this forward, I would take that 100 days. 100 <laughs> days out of 100. I mean, if you have a penchant for alien abduction stories and the Hallmark Channel, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, of course, fill your boots. Uh, this one's for you, Nan, as discussed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, for your casual viewer, though, I'd have to uh, agree with James and say no. I think it's wo- you know it's worth it for that sequence. I don't think you know, especially for that time, you're not going to see a sequence as good as that in terms of like alien abduction thing. It's it's totally left field from the film. It's amazing, <laughs> but I would like to point to a review which I think is quite a hot take on it, uh, which I think you might appreciate this, Rob. So this is from a chap called Dan Stewart. He rewatched this really recently, the 13th of April this year. Four and a half stars he gave it. <gasps> Dan loved it. Hell, did he direct it? I, I mean, I don't think I wouldn't even give it that. <laughs> so, this is what, so this is what he said. Um, it takes a Spielbergian first act, then translates it to a social commentary before ultimately becoming a Cronenberg body horror shocker for its climax. Overall, it's an equally fascinating and entertaining look at the culture of the unexplained in America, as well as a must-see for those interested in aliens. Um, so, yeah, you know, I guess that means Tom DeLong from Blink-182 would absolutely love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think even I would go so far with a recommendation as that. I mean... That is glowing. Which directors uh, did he invoke there? Spielberg, Cronenberg, um... Spielberg. 
I agree with his Cronenberg thing, to be honest. I think it's that's really spot I do, on. with the body horror stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really I think spot you know on. it's quite it's quite generous to the actual director of this film, who's Robert Lieberman, who's mainly known for his other feature was B D three The Mighty Ducks. Amazing. That's saying with such disdain. The Mighty Ducks trilogy is. A I'm not. I'm not. A, I loved it. But to I be think, fair you know, to Robert Lieberman, he's a veteran TV director. He and is. If you he throw is, a rock at a show, and he's yeah. he's no doubt directed at least one episode of it so x-files dexter the expanse etc he's like a real safe pair of hands and but he's yeah he's he's still working today i I wonder how many people you know when they see an episode of what i don't know like law and order and they see robert lieberman do they go like oh yes director of fire in the sky (laughs) we're in good hands (laughs) um so i think um for myself i usually think with films that have the caveat based on a true story in front of it, it actually stands to enhance the film's credibility. But in this case, I think it does the exact opposite and it acts uh, more like a, a noose hanging, a noose of hornswoggle <laughs> hanging around this film's neck, like a ball and chain of hot made up garbage. Um, there's all sorts of stuff written about Walton, which we've discussed. His credibility is under question. His story, therefore, is also under question. Um, I would urge moviegoers to forget all of that and enjoy uh, <laughs> uh, it's either a, you know like a, a sci-fi art house film or a Hallmark horror movie. Uh, take that assertion <laughs> of true story away and for me you've got a great interesting, uh, well acted in places well produced and at times downright terrifying abduction story which at times veers straight into sci-fi horror. For me, the setting is really creepy. The visual effects are really, really good. Can we just take a little nod on this pod? We love our practical effects. We've got a lot of that here as well. Um, But I find it an interesting movie, not just as an alien movie, but as a character piece as well. Because if you take out the sci-fi elements, this is really about... Uh, it's a small town movie about distrust and it's about Robert Patrick's character, Mike, who's faced with the impossible task of protesting his innocence when a town refuses to believe that the impossible has happened. Uh, so for me, forget the Walton experience or at least try to and you'll find quite a bit to enjoy here. If you find it on telly late at night and you've got nothing better to watch or do or be. <laughs> so <laughs> even after all <laughs> even after all these years, I still love it. So um, for me, I'm going to say reconsider this hunk of poo, please. Um, so <laughs> it's on Netflix. UK. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Go grab it. It will cut co- if you're a Netflix subscriber. It ain't gonna cost you a jolly bean to go and check it out. I am so glad I didn't have to spend three pound fifty to rent this movie. I'd have been fuming. I'd have been. I'd have been asking for reimbursement. And I think both of those are a disgrace. So, <laughs> and I'd been seriously questioning the democratic nature of this pod and whether every host actually deserves a vote. <laughs> Imagine if my vote was stripped off me. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, um, whose movie is it next week? It is mine, Robert. Oh, good grief. And what have you selected for us? We're going back to the 80s. We're going to Russia. <laughs> We're going to watch Rocky Balboa take on Ivan Drago <laughs> in the classic Rocky Four, streaming on Amazon video at the moment, so you can check it out if you subscribe to that service. Wicked. So yeah, Amazon Video, go check out Rocky Four in time for next week. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please check us out on Twitter at FYRFilmPod. Hit us up on email with reconsiderpod at gmail.com and lay some more five-star reviews on us, baby. Say goodbye, boys. See ya. Bye-bye.
Cheers. Have a good one and break out the Branston. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for another sponsorship. Come on, let's have uh, one. 